Hello and welcome to our new podcast, The Drums TV Talks. I'm media editor, John McCarthy. And I'm TV reporter, Hannah Bowler. Each week, we'll sit down with the decision makers, media owners, ad tech execs, and producers shaping the future of TV to explain the role advertising has in funding the industry and re-establishing dominance as the best screen in the house. So we're going to be explaining TV advertising in simple-ish terms without the complicated jargon. We basically want to make the TV ad sector a piece of cake to understand. So thanks for joining our TV Talks. Hi, John. How's it going? It is going well. In fact, are you actually asking, can we get into it? Can the podcast just be how I am? Yeah, I think, to be honest, it's been an emotional week. Yes. So we need this downtime. Uh, it's cheaper than therapy. Um, so why am I stressed? That's the better question. Um, we had to cover a lot of TV news this week, didn't we, Hannah? It was hectic. Hectic times. Yes. People used to say TV is dead and part of me wishes it was. So it's been a super kind of hectic week covering the IAB's new fronts this week. I think you've been covering the lion's share of it. So I say hectic. For me, it was more you. Um, what was kind of some of the jazziest announcements that you took away from from the announcements that happened over in the US? Yes. Um, well... Well, advertisers, they like to focus on the shiny new thing rather than the run-of-the-mill thing that we need to do our jobs. So virtual product placement was announced in some respects by Amazon Prime Video and NBC use Peacock, although Peacock call it in-scene advertising. Now, sounds difficult to arrange a product placement, so why not just retroactively beam your product into beloved TV shows and properties. I don't know. Sounds difficult, actually. Sounds like a bit of a pipe dream. And Hannah, can you exclusively reveal it is? A pipe dream? Yes. Yeah. I feel like it It might have some way to go or have just fallen a bit by the wayside just because regulation, like regulation kind of holds it back. Every different country has got a different policy or legal requirements on product placement. So like as like a global media company, how are you supposed to roll out retrospective product placement around the globe at one time when France is probably like, we can't just shove Coca-Cola retrospectively into a drama in post-production and get away with it? I don't know. It just feels too bogged down in like rules. Too much effort, and if there's one thing an advertiser doesn't really like, it is having to expend effort. And you didn't just pull that off the top of your head. That's currently something you're writing about, we should say. Uh, you were talking to the people at Accenture, I believe. Um, is it Accenture song now? Is that the rebrand? Yeah. That is the rebrand, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so in 2017, they kind of went kind of out of the gate trying to put kind of dynamic product placement trying to create the tech around it, essentially. But um, in the meantime, it's kind of fallen to the wayside just based on those kind of challenges that I mentioned before. Uh, so it's quite interesting for them who are kind of sitting on this idea and have pushed it a little bit into the background just because it's so hard to execute. Yes, and I think you hinted that they may instead have their eyes focused on the gaming space. Um, when you're rendering digital worlds, it's so much easier to then 
and input digital products and product placements. Um, and this is a good time to plug our gaming advertising deep dive, which we will be exploring all manner of in-game advertising on this from the 16th of May this month, unless you're listening to it in the future, in which case all of the content already exists and you can go and read it or watch it or listen to it or all other means of engaging. This makes me feel like I'm in a real podcast where I invite a guest on and then they plug their new book. So thank you for that. Welcome. This is a real podcast, Hannah. Um, I've seen the analytics and we just surpassed our 12 billion user, um, reader, listener. There we go. Um, it's a highly successful podcast. Um, and what we've just done is shine a light on how measurement and podcasting needs to up its game because everyone can just say what they want. Anyway, speaking of virtual product placement, Accenture were initially looking to bring that technology to Netflix, I believe. Didn't quite work out. But that brings us to the topic of the day, doesn't it, Hannah? The only one real topic that's happening right now to TV advertising, apparently. Netflix introducing ads. We're here again. Sorry. Yeah. It's going to be the main the main rolling news, I think, for the foreseeable. Um, for, for this, this week, we thought we'd check in with our uh, the Drums TV Advisory Council. Uh, a couple of the people from that, from that kind of session, we've just kind of featured some of their views, their hot takes, basically, on, on to be honest, some of the barriers that are going to, Netflix is going to face in the coming kind of year to introduce ads. Um, so a little bit of, of those were kind of talked through. Um, alongside some very excited advertisers to get their hands on Netflix. That's absolutely correct. And now I'm thinking about it, let's tell people how the sausage is made. We should probably tag Netflix in the social posts and they can just use this podcast as a means of developing their advertising product. We've solved it for them. Uh, and we hope you enjoy listening to that. So we're going to be hearing from Sam Taylor from Direct Line Group, Group M, Simon Thomas, and Brad Stockton from Dentsu. They are giving their little hot takes on Netflix's introduction of ads. So I'll leave it to those guys. Yes, and it's worth saying we had lots and lots of people on our call, and many of them requested that we kept their trade secrets to ourselves at the moment. Um, so... Yeah, it was a bit hectic organising, what was it, 12 people on the call. We've picked out some of our favourite bits. This kind of biggest period of news has probably been what's happened with Netflix, introducing ads and also Disney introducing ads and kind of this, I guess, kind of resurgence in AVOD um, is kind of the biggest topic that we know we've been writing loads about at the moment and I'm sure you guys have been talking about at length yourselves. Um, it kind of struck us kind of funny that it feels like it's a bit of a return to the original broadcast system, which um, we've spent a long time kind of breaking away from. So it's kind of a, I don't know, a funny old time, I think. Sam, then, do you, do you want to kind of kick us off? Advertising on Netflix, bring it on. More opportunities, yeah. target more people. 100%, bring it on. You know, we all, all advertisers want it to access audiences. And if there's more audiences available, then we'll take them all day long. <laughs> Brad, did you have any thoughts on this? 
Yeah, I think the the interesting thing will be, I mean, I don't know if anybody else has heard anything. I haven't heard anything about the actual offering, what it's going to look like, what the target is going to be, who their ad server is, who their sales team is. You know, like, I, I think there's billions of questions, but I'm right there with you, Sam. Like, I'm excited. This is a great opportunity. As long as we get the advertising model right, as long as we get set up correctly, so we don't create a four-minute pod times and have a bad consumer experience. But this is going to mm-hmm. be phenomenal and exciting. But who's leading it? What's their ad tech? What's their targeting capabilities? Yeah. What are their pods? What's the the, uh, the consumer experience? And what's the price model for the ad-supported version of Netflix? Simon, did you want to weigh in? No, I mean, Brad, you've hit the nail on the head. It, it's the value exchange for the existing subscriber base. That's number one. Um, by the way, I have to declare an interest. We uh, WaveMaker was Netflix's agency, and I actually worked on the business about three years ago, four years ago. So I know them pretty well. Um, their their marketing marketing science data management is outstanding. Um, probably only beaten by one one other client I can think of, and he happens to be sitting on this call. And that, that's a genuine comment, Sam, because you know I respect what you guys do. What are you talking about? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, Netflix are very switched on. Um, I, I think what's going to be really interesting though is, as always, the industry has gone into a hype cycle with this. I mean, actually have a look at what Netflix's viewing is in terms of its actual overall levels. Have a, Great when you add it all up across the world, but look at individual countries. Yeah, how many programs are in the top 20? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. top, top, top 20. I mean, I just I saw Justin Le- uh, Justin Sampson uh, did a presentation last week, which, which I saw one Netflix program in the top 20 in the UK. That's right. I think when Squid Games came out, it just about made it. And I think Bridgerton just about made it. But apart from that, it's very exactly it's, it's long tail stuff, but it's but it's light TV viewer audiences, isn't it? Right. Absolutely. So that's always and it it's key contextual environment. There's a relationship. You know, it's like in the old days where people had a relationship with a channel, again, which has never gone away. Yeah, I I hate bring it on, look forward to it. But uh, to Brad's Brad's comment, I think the important thing is who is going to manage it commercially in terms of its actual presentation. I think they've got some wonderful addressable opportunities, which is up to them to leverage. Um, but I, do, do you know what? I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure I can see us switching large amounts of money for brand equity building. I think there could be quite a lot of performance-based movement um, if it delivers. Smart, smart sponsorship opportunities, I think, probably for programs yeah. and things like that could be quite interesting, couldn't it, contextually? Um, yeah. But that's no different to where Address was going anyway, right? With Sky and Sky Smart Sponsorship and, and, and the like, and ITV Plus, uh, you know, X, sorry, when that launches. And it's all sim- it's all very, very similar. And for me, it comes down to where the where are the brilliant data scientists, where's the contextual relevance? You've got to believe that with the product they've built, similar to Amazon, really, they'll be up there in terms of pristine data, you know, targeted opportunities, um, which could come at a premium. But you've got to also remember the long tail, you know, the audiences aren't massive. I know I have another question probably for you. And it's, do you think the content that Netflix has is suitable to an ad model? I know that uh, maybe the, the binge one of the originals were sort of beneficial for a subscription-based business. But if you want to keep people on the service all day long and interrupt it with ads... Does their most popular stuff actually work for that model? I, I don't know. 
But I mean, like, we don't know what their ad model is to know if it's going to work or not. If they're just doing pre-roll, 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 three spots, three thirties at most. So you have, you know, 90 seconds before a show and then a binge, a binge spot that airs before the next one. So instead of getting a 10 second countdown, you get a 15 second ad going into your next show. That's a good consumer experience. And in the mindset of an addressable advertiser, the consumers content that they're watching is premium to them. So whether they're watching stranger things or another re you know, re-airing of Seinfeld or whatever, whatever show they decide to watch that is premium in the eyes of the beholder. Now it's about finding the right audiences. Now as an advertiser, I still need to be in a brand safe environment. How are they, they fencing off the kids content? How do they remove TVMA? How do I get more transparency that I always want in this space? I think that's, what's going to really drive that conversation inevitably but we don't i guess we don't know we don't know we don't know a lot right now you might as well put in a year and a half timeline on this and i think i'm optimistic on a year and a half that's what somebody that gets in there with a really strong background and getting us something a sales team stood up and running or you know because that's the best that they go with the bill versus the borrower buy so i think it'll be really interesting and also not forgetting that yeah if you are looking at a year and a half down the line the TV broadcast space has evolved so much in the last 24 months and will continue to that the position it'll be in when that happens will be a different landscape to what the landscape is today. So that's that's really tricky, isn't it, right? You, you're planning to deliver a product in a landscape that'll be very different to the landscape of today. So how do you do that? Absolutely. Just back to Brad's point quickly, I'm kind of interested in the brand safety element and obviously like for the likes of Netflix that are kind of um, skirt around regulators. As advertisers come on, do you think they'll be demanding a bit more of that regulation just from the brand safety point? Um, I don't know, Brad, if you could go back to that point real quick, I'm not sure. Brand safety in the digital video streaming space from a from a show transparency perspective is a problem and it's not a technical limitation. It's not a legal limitation. It's more of an enablement that needs to be happening at scale across the board. So I think that this is an opportunity that if they come in and they can make that very clearly, we'll give transparency to our shows. We know how to enable DNA list appropriately. I think that this sh- it shouldn't be a problem. But again, who's coming in? Who's leading the team? Who's setting it up? Make sure that these questions are answered versus coming to us with an offer and then having 10 more questions unanswered. Yeah, just, just just to add some extra st- bits to that, I mean, one of the things we have is uh, what we call pre- premium marketplace, i.e. brands. You know, when you've got a client like P&G and Unilever and, of course, Direct Line you know, and, and so on and so Colgate, Nestle, L'Oreal, we, ha- we, are, we have brand safety all over us. Um, and to actually maintain that is crucial. Uh, so that's so we so we have very much a premium. Very. I don't think they're going to set up their own sales team. I think there are two issues here. I mean, and, and Sam raised one, which was how quickly and how much the marketplace is changing. Um, I mean, we are now measuring Netflix in the UK. They're measuring it in the Netherlands. They're measuring it in Denmark, in Sweden, in Poland. You know, whether Netflix like it or not, and then they will overlay the programming onto it. So we know what the ratings are like. We know what the watching is like, uh, the viewing is like, and we know it across audiences. But the key thing for us will be that value exchange, and that, that's the key thing. Um, and the actual state in which the consumers are watching the ads, what is their disposition? What is their mindset? What's the passive and active 
decision-making, attention balance and things like that. But there's another massive, massive difference, and it's something I have been watching for 15, 20 years, is most of the analysts, not you guys, but most of what I would call the financial analysts, and a lot of the industry narrative is led out of the US. US is a totally different marketplace to UK and Europe. Yeah, I mean, Comcast found that out when you bought Sky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know very well because you are a client and I've had conversations with, you know, with your guys about it. Um, they're the regulatory systems. I mean, UK with Ofcom, you know, we are moving towards a much more regulated system across the rest of Europe. But in the UK, if they're going to take ads on Netflix, they're going to have to go through Clearcast, which is the, uh, which is the uh, approval system. It will not be viewed as a straight video uh, offering, and increasingly video offering is being brought into both the Ofcom, Clearcast, et cetera, re re regulatory system, which is good because one of the biggest single things, my final point, and I'll shut up, um, is we have seen the trust in not just advertising, but the trust in media reduce dramatically over the last five to 10 years in terms of the consumer app approach to it. And that's what Netflix could bring back. It could bring back a very trusted brand. If it's done responsibly, then I think they're onto a winner. If they go all out and go go mass market, I think they'll they'll kill the golden goose. So you don't think they should just embrace thousands and thousands of crypto adverts and bombard us with them on our favorite content until we get fed up with the service? No, I think it'll be very discreet with limited premium inventory, and, and highly contextualised. We did hear a bit about a virtual product placement, um, and we've been talking about it for years, and we've yet to see a huge amount of scale on it. Um, but I wonder if you, someone at least could talk me through the potential there. I don't, I don't think it's scalable. I don't think product placement is scalable because of the time it takes to make products, content. You know, and I think that, that we're, in, we're a much more, the world is a much more short-termist, mindset and I think that product placement unless you're a Coca-Cola um, that knows that they'll be wanting to do stuff in a year's time or 18 months or, you know I, I can't see how that would take hold particularly in the UK market it's never really been I don't think it's really been massive in the UK market it's been more about you know obviously I've, I've done them in the past on cinema, on cinema films and things like that with really long lead times but I can't I can't see it being scalable uh, as part of a, a, a Netflix solution longer term just can't see it personally I can see a display-type ad in, on the pause button. I can see them bringing that. But I can see a lot of, a lot of players in the AVOD marketplace bringing that in. Um, it'll be incremental revenue, but I think it could actually begin to tot up to quite a high level. So your kind of feelings is that the product placement will not be able to sustain them and that it'll have to be more out of innovation, but just slow over time it's not going to be within the next one to two years. I think we need to look at this, not just about Netflix. It's about a wider CTV and a switch from SVOD to, to AVOD. Let, let's look at the commercial drivers behind this. Ten, been around 10 years. First year, they've lost subscriptions. One and a half million subscriptions. They can see what... I mean, I think a number of people saw this coming anyway. I mean, I know Ian Whitaker predicted this 18 months ago. He's a UK analyst. Um yeah, you know, this was come out and, and and a whole ampere as well. I know the guys there were talking about this uh, certainly a year ago. Um, 
This is going to be incremental and marginal. This isn't big bucks. This is going to replace lost subscription money and maintain the level of investment in content because that's their strength. And that's what they've done really well is they produce some really good content, um, particularly, as Pooja mentioned, across younger audiences, you know, and, and innovative content as well. But, but if we think it, you know, if we think of it just as Netflix, it doesn't stack up. It only stacks up as part of a moving element within the shift from SVOD to AVOD and across the CTV market. That that that's how we how how we are seeing it currently. So there's no one streamer changing the user behaviour back towards a more ad focused viewership. Everyone's doing it all at once, and it's like heating up the bath water with you in it. That's a terrible analogy, but you get it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no one sits in a cold bath. Well, J- J- John, there just isn't the money in the marketplace to sustain it. Mm. If you know to go to go big bang on it, it's got to be an incremental growth. It'll be step by step by step. And it definitely with with partners, whether you know whether Reed buys the partners or or they go into a commercial strategic alliance or whatever. I don't know. Depends. You know the, that'll be down to the money men. We'll be keeping a very close eye on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on that basis, if you were to skip forward a couple of years, right? Is there an opportunity for a sales house to be as strong on good quality AV content as? some of the linear broadcasters are across the globe um, and aggregate across two or three big content platforms, like including Netflix. Do you think that's a thing? Is that an opportunity for someone out there, you know, maybe a, a trade desk moving from a DSP to a more supply side? I don't know. Oh, I think you're absolutely right, Sam. Trade desk, Magnite, LG ads even, or, or coming the other way, RTL Connect. Okay. Come back the other way you know, from the broadcast into into the programmatic world. I, I think a lot of it's going to depend how much goes programmatically and how deep we can get into the addressable environment. I mean, I'm still waiting for proper di- uh, dynamic ad insertion. And I was told about that three years ago, you know, and I've got clients who keep asking about it and I regret ever putting it in the presentation three years ago because it's not, the market's not delivered it. It's, it's, it's tough. It's technically very, very difficult. We've done that journalism thing of asking you about virtual product placement, and you're still here demanding the very most basic basics. Um, <laughs> the basics don't excite people, Sam. Um, <laughs> well, well, they excite my clients who want to who want to know what value they're getting and what outcome they're getting. I mean, you know, for, as we discussed in the last meeting, we can't even measure the bloody stuff properly. We we have a serious issue. Well, on that kind of last cheery note from Simon, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the Drums TV Talks podcast. You can find other episodes of the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or also on the Drum site. On the Drum site, though, you'll also find all of our future TV coverage, which is topped up daily. So go over there and check it out. Thanks again.